It's hard when we start at the park, which this is supposed to be an incredible celebration, and it is. But I think as we've looked at the world around us in the last several weeks, what we're finding is a world that is incredibly broken. Would you agree with that? We're seeing things that are happening in our country and that, quite frankly, they're a reminder of why our world needs Jesus, why our country needs Jesus. Last year in the park, we started the first half of a series on the Sermon on the Mount where we looked at Jesus' greatest sermon and we, we finished through about half of it. And originally, the goal was that we were going to come back into the park and we were going to continue and finish the Sermon on the Mount series. And then something happened. Lent. As we came into Lent, we were preparing for Easter, and we started a series called Awaken. How many of you were there for the series Awaken at the dock? If you were, raise your hand. The whole vision of Awaken was talking about that God wants to do new things in our lives and that what got you here won't necessarily get you there. And that in order to step into the new things that God has for us, sometimes we have to get rid of the old. Sometimes we have to move from the familiar, not necessarily bad, but the familiar, in order so that we can move into new times, new territories, new spaces that the Lord wants to be. And here's the thing. Ultimately, we want to be healthy humans, healthy Christians, and healthy, maturing Christians change, they grow, they develop. And in order to develop and grow, we have to sometimes move on. And then after that, we talked, we did a series, a three-week series called Testify, where we talked about the power of story and the power of our lives and why our stories matter. And we had three testimonies. We had the Doran Camps, we had the Lesters and Jim Brueggemann, and then last week, we got to baptize Jim Brueggemann. Can we give a thank you to the Lord for what he did in that series and the stories that were shared? Now, here's why I share this. If you have not had a chance to listen to those or watch those, go online, check out, see what's going on. But here was the beautiful part in all of this, is that as we began to walk through, something I realized early on during Lent is that anytime we step into new seasons, Anytime we step into growth, anytime we want to leave our old stories to go into new stories, we're going to experience resistance. And that resistance is not just accidental, because here's the thing, and I want you to hear this, that resistance comes from an enemy. And that enemy wants to do everything he can to get in the way of you not only believing in Christ, but becoming what God has for you. Now, as we look at this, here's what I want to tell you. If you're feeling stuck, if you're feeling trapped, if you're feeling like your life is not going in the direction it wants, if you're feeling asleep to the new life that the Holy Spirit has for you, there's a reason for it. Part of it is choice. But the other part is, is that you have an active enemy who wants to do everything he can to distract, discourage, discredit, and disrupt. And that enemy, according to Scripture, is not in the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm. Now, I'm going to tell you, we're doing a summer series talking about battle. We're going to start our time in the park talking about the fight that we have for our lives. If you're single, if you're married, if you're divorced, divorced, you're in a fight. If you have children or grandchildren or even struggling to have children, you're in a fight. Whether you're strong in your faith, struggling with your faith, or don't believe at all, you're in a fight. How do we deal with that? 
When we look at the world around us right now, it's clear that there is a battle. There is a battle for the mind of our children. There is a battle for your attention and affection. The things from school shootings to senseless violence to wars in Ukraine, political turmoil, racism, inequality. We're seeing the fight hit our families. We're seeing struggling and failing marriages, emotional and physical affairs. We're seeing unhealthy relationships take people captive. We're seeing divorce and brokenness, addictions. And then on top of that, how many of you would agree that sometimes social media is not always that helpful? Everything is vying for your attention. And then sadly, in the midst of that, the place that should be the safest place ever, the place where people can encounter the love of Jesus, we're seeing churches and church leaders failing and falling left and right. Sickness and disease, anxiety, depression, other mental health issues, all of these things are pointing to something important, and that is we are in a fight. The world would have us believe that the solution to being unstuck, the solution to fighting, is that we just need to trust in ourselves. We need to believe in humanity. And I don't know about you, but I've kind of given up on humanity figuring these things out on your own. Have you? It doesn't seem like the world is accomplishing the things it's setting out to. In fact, what I'm seeing is that no matter how many self-help books you read, how much better technology is, no matter how many more times you post on social media, no matter how, whether you create better or stricter laws, we give more or less control to the government. If, even if we have better education, the world doesn't seem to be getting better. Yes, there are some things that are better than they were 100 years ago, 50 years, for sure better than 1,000 years ago, but it feels like Every time we take one step forward, two more things pop up and get in our way. Now, as we hit Lent, here's what I began to realize. The most important thing we can do as we come into the park is to acknowledge this reality. That instead of just sunshine and unicorns and rainbows, it's, it's coming in and acknowledging that every person, every one of you here has experienced the impact and the effect of that battle, maybe in your marriage, maybe in your children or grandchildren or your singleness, maybe at your job, but we see it all around. So what are we supposed to do with it? Well, here's what I want you to hear. And here's why we're here. We believe that the authors of the Bible through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit actually give us what I believe to be a fuller picture, a better answer as to why these things keep on happening. And what we're supposed to do to, make, to, to deal with them, to move into the victory that God has called us to. Because the Bible actually does tell us that we can have victory in Christ. Can I get an amen? And that as we look at that, because the Bible tells us this, here's the problem. Is that everything that we see in the world is experienced through our five senses. Every single one of them, we can see them, hear them, feel them, touch them, even taste the devastation of the world around us. But the real source of these issues, according to the authors of the Bible, the real enemy is not where you might expect. The real enemy isn't your government. The real enemy is not a president. The real enemy is not a school system. The real enemy is actually seen in an unseen realm, what we believe is called the heavenly realm, the spiritual realm. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this. That language sounds weird, doesn't it? Heavenly realm, what does that mean? Well, I grew up thinking anytime you were there, heard the word heaven, it meant someplace above. 
But the Bible, when it talks about the heavenly realm, what it's really referring to is any place that you can't see in the natural world. It's the place not only where God dwells and angels dwell, but it's also the place where we see the greatest enemy dwell, which is Satan and his demons. So we're going to be looking at the real enemy, the real enemy that God has called us to fight, which is not a person or political party or even a disease. The real enemy is a fallen angel that the Bible calls the devil or Satan. Our, and our enemy doesn't want you or anyone else in the world to be free or have victory. That's his plan. Now, as we were talking about this, someone, I was telling people, I was like, okay, this is what we're going to do. Our series is called, This is How We Fight. This is how we fight the battles, and we're going to discover God's direction and insight on how we, as Christians, as followers of Christ, even if you're not a Christian yet, my hope is that you'll hear this, that we don't just fight for victory, but rather we fight from victory. We already have victory in Jesus. Jesus has already won the war. The battle just isn't over yet. The followers of Jesus, they have been told that we've been given authority and power through the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit and God's word so that we can live in the victory of Christ here and now. But that doesn't happen by our own strength and our own power and might. This series is all about how we win the battles in the unseen realm. So, we're still going to read our scripture. If you have your phone, if you have the Zion app, or if you want to pull up, if you don't have that, we're going to read our scripture together. Uh, and I think there's, if you go onto the Zion app, if you don't have that Zion Clear Lake, you can download it. Our scripture reading today, and it's also on Zion's Facebook page. Would you please stand with me as we read our scripture from today in Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 10 and 12, if you can read it together with me, read it out loud as loud as you can. Here we go. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The word of the Lord, praise be to God, you may be seated. Why in the world would I start a series in the park on spiritual warfare, coming into the park? I've had more than a few people ask me, Jason, shouldn't you do something that's friendly or maybe a little bit more inviting? Why are you doing spiritual warfare? And here's what I'll find, and here's why we're doing it. I think if you're honest, I think most people want to know how do we survive this world? How do we live in victory? What are we supposed to do? Here's the problem that I see. When we think about the word spiritual warfare, it's kind of a, an odd thing. But most of us have been more influenced by Hollywood than the, the Bible itself. Movies like Poltergeist, Exorcist, Omen, and the like, those tend to be our view of spiritual warfare. It's casting out demons from the possessed. It's weird and it's freaky. And that's a fair question. Why would we do this? Well, I know at the park we have a wide variety of people who come to church here, and that doesn't mean that we're not being seeker-friendly. It may not seem seeker-friendly, but many of the people who are checking out church, who are exploring faith, those of you who have been living in faith, I think we'd all agree that we need a different answer. 
that there must be a different way to handle this. And it really came down, there were three reasons ultimately why I chose this series. And here's the first one. I'm simply trying to be obedient to what I feel the Holy Spirit is asking me and us as a church to go. It's possible I could be wrong. The second is I think it's very clear that there is a war going on for the hearts and minds of people and souls, and most of us have no clue the advantages and weapons that God has given us in Christ through His Spirit and His Word. And then the third is this. If there was ever a time when Satan might have lots of opportunities to distract, discourage, discredit, and disrupt the life of a Christian, it's during the summer when our culture tells us it's time to take a break. Here's what I want you to hear. Enemies don't take summer breaks. They don't. Summer hits and our enemies don't just go, hey, it's summer, let's relax and chill out and go to the pool, let's go golfing and go on the boat. That's not how warfare works. And a lot of Christians during the summer, that's when you let your guard down. That's when we begin to say, you know what? I'm just going to check out and here's my promise to you. And I want you to hear this, especially if you're maybe a little weirded out right now. If you, even if you have your doubts, maybe you're worried that this is going to get weird. It's not. We're going to talk about this from a practical, as, as practical as possible, but also a unifying as possible. We're going to make sure that our focus is on the real enemy and his schemes this isn't going to get political. The only agenda here I have for us is to learn how to fight this battle the right way. How many of you would like to learn how to fight the battle the right way? If so, say amen. That's the goal. There's a guy named Tony Evans. Tony Evans is a pastor and author and theologian, and he actually writes a lot on spiritual warfare, and he's one of the many books that I'm reading from. And he compares the battle of the spiritual realm to the ultimate game of chess between God and the devil. That's how he approaches it. Now, here's what I want you to hear. Think of it this way. In the beginning of creation, in Genesis chapter 1, God sets the move. He first moves. God spoke. Creation came and he said, let there be light. And the light was there. And then he created six days. He created on the sixth day. He created man. And Satan watches. And what does Satan do? He then makes the next move. He tempts Adam and Eve in the garden. God moves, Satan moves. God moves, Satan moves. But here's the thing that's important. God is the ultimate chess master. master. He's already won the game because through Jesus, it's just a matter of time before Satan has finally fallen. Now, I got to be honest. I'm a really bad chess player. I'm really bad. I had a seven-year-old beat me one time, and here's the scary part. He was like, Jason, I'm going to beat you in six moves. I was like, no way. He beat me in five. Not a good chess player. But here's what I've discovered about chess. A good chess player, a great chess player, can see so far ahead on the board and make sure that you may not even know you've lost yet, but they know you've lost. Here's the thing, Satan knows that he's lost this war, he's lost this game, but he's gonna keep on taking out as many as possible through every circumstance, every lie that he can, because he knows it's just a matter of time before he's in checkmate. And when he is, that's when Jesus returns and Jesus ultimately wins. When Jesus died on the cross, rose again on the third day, that was the end for Satan. He knew it. And now until then, he's kicking and screaming and doing everything he can to take as many people off the board as possible. And some of you are feeling that. Now, in fairness, 
You might say, Jason, that seems kind of cruel that God would play chess with our lives. This isn't a game. This is an illustration. God's not playing games, but Satan is. God is in the business of warfare. God is in the business of making sure that you are rescued from the kingdom of darkness, the dominion of the devil. And as he looks at this, he wants you to be understanding. And this is why he talks about the devil's schemes. Schemes are strategies, plans, manipulations. Even the character of the devil matters. God is going to work through your circumstances. In Romans it says he works together all things for good for those who love him. Which means that if you understand your victory in Christ, no matter what happens, you are still going to win. You may not win the way you want, the way you want to, but you're still going to win. We need to know our opponent's schemes. We need to know his plans, his strategies, even his character. This is what Tony Evans writes. Listen to this. We are in a war. In fact, the war we are in is like no other war that any of us have ever known, heard about, or could even conceive. It is a war being fought in a realm we cannot see. Spiritual warfare is the cosmic conflict waged in the invisible spiritual realm, which is simultaneously fleshed out in the context of the physical, visible and physical realm. Here's what he just said. You actually don't see the war happening, but you do feel its side effects. It's kind of like the war in Ukraine. We're not actually seeing the, the fight itself, but we're experiencing the consequences, aren't we? How many of you enjoy paying $4.13 for gas? That's the idea. Is you may not see the war, you may not see what's going on, but we are experiencing the side effects of it. So who or what are we fighting? And this is why the story of the Bible is so important. The greatest enemy to God's people, mission, and, and kingdom isn't people. Our battle is actually not against people. And here's what I want you to hear. If you're a church member, if you love Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, stop treating people like the enemy. They're not really the enemy. They're the side effect. The real enemy is Satan. The real enemy is the devil. Now, did you know that the Bible uses names as a way of describing the character the personality, the strategy of people, not just of people, but even spiritual beings like Satan. For instance, check this out. These are the names given of the devil that we see. And, and here's the thing. Every time you learn what the name is, it tells you the strategy of how he wants to discourage, discredit, and disrupt your life. The word Satan literally means adversary. He is your foe, not your friend. The devil means slanderer. He makes false claims about God, us, and even himself. These two names themselves, Satan, adversary, devil, slanderer, Beelzebub means Lord of the flies. Here's what that means. Flies are gross. Flies hang out on death and disease and waste. He is the Lord of gross. He's also called the bright morning star. Now, interesting fact, did you know that Jesus is also called the bright morning star? But here's the difference. Satan is a false morning star. Jesus is the true one. He is a deceiver. Lastly, these are the next ones, evil one, tempter. He's also called the prince of this world. God has given him 
limited freedom in our world and the accuser. These are just some of the names of our enemy. Jesus references his minions called demons, Satan and his demons, 25 times in the Gospels. That means it's pretty important that we understand. Here's a couple of things that I believe are clear about Satan and who God is in comparison, and these are important for us. You guys ready for this? First, Satan is not equal to God. Satan is a created being. This is not the light side and the dark side and the force. God has ultimate authority. Satan is a created being. He was an angel of the Lord who was actually tasked with leading worship in the heavenlies until he decided that he wanted the worship, not God. He is limited in his power. Did you know that Satan can be resisted? That means that you actually can fight when you resist. And over the next several weeks, what we're going to be looking at is how do we resist the devil? What are the schemes the devil has? And how do we take a stand in the right place? He has ultimately been defeated by Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection. And here's the big one. You guys ready for this? You don't have to be afraid of him but we must be alert. We must be aware of him. Two different realities. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be alert and of sober mind, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But here's the thing. He's ultimately a toothless lion. Yes, he roars around. Yes, he wants you to be afraid of him. Yes, he's dangerous. But he's been contained for the believer. You don't have to be afraid. Now, C.S. Lewis, and I'm going to paraphrase C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis quoted it this way. He said, there are two lies that the enemy wants you to believe. In either way, he wins. The first lie is to believe that there's no devil at all, that there's just evil in the world, and that's just how it is. There are some people, some Christians, who believe that there's no such thing as the devil. Guess what? It's hard to fight an enemy when you don't think he exists. The second is Christians focus way too much on him. We begin to think he's behind every bush, every tree, everything going on. And, and here's why this matters. There's something within Christians that we've bought into conspiracy theories way too often when sometimes the only conspiracy is, is that people are just dumb sometimes. Can I get an amen? Not everything is Satan, but Satan is still moving. He still has power, but we don't have to be afraid of him, but we also must not deny him. We must take spiritual warfare seriously. Let me give you an idea of why this matters. Check this out. In the Old Testament, in the book of 2 Kings, in the ancient world, warfare was a reality everywhere they went. Every Wars were happening all the times between people groups, between the Israelites, the Amalekites, the Amorites, the Ammonites. All these people were constantly fighting. Well, one day, there was a group called the Aramites. And the king of Aram wanted Israel. And so Aram begins to set up a siege tactic that he's going to essentially ambush the Israelite army. But God has a prophet, a guy named Elisha. And Elisha is one of the greatest prophets in the history of the Old Testament. And every time that the king of Aram makes a plan to ambush the people of God, God tells Elisha, he says, hey, don't let, don't let the Israelites go here. And Elisha then goes and he tells the king of Israel, hey, there's, there's the king of Aram is over in this valley. Don't go that way. And time after time, God rescues, delivers before there's even a battle. Well, the king of Aram hears about this and he's like, hey, listen, who's the spy in our midst? 
Who is telling the king of Israel that where we are? Because every time we seek to ambush them, they're not there. I know somebody's spying and somebody says, you know what? No one's spying. God, the God of Israel has a prophet, a guy named Elisha. And the Lord of Israel keeps on telling Elisha our battle plans. And so every time we go, they already know what's going on. And so the king of Aram gets upset and he gets, he wages a war against Elisha. He sends a whole fleet of army members, chariots and horses, and they hear that Elisha's staying in a neighboring town. And check this out. So in the night, they go to ambush one man, one prophet, Elisha. Elisha's asleep when his servant wakes up. And the servant wakes up and goes outside and surrounding them are all these chariots and horses and soldiers. And the servant of Elisha's freaked out. And he goes and wakes up Elisha and he goes, Elisha, we're surrounded, we're gonna die. And here's what I love. Elisha's response is simply this. I'm not worried about it. What do you mean you're not worried, Elisha? We're surrounded, we're gonna die. No, 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 here's the thing. And I, here's, you don't need to be freaked out. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And the servant of Elisha is like, I don't know what you're talking about. There's two of us and hundreds of them. I don't see it. And Elisha prays this prayer. Lord, give my servant eyes to see. Instantly, the man's eyes are opened up to the unseen realm, the spiritual world. And as he looks out, he sees chariots of fire, angels surrounding the encampment. All of a sudden, the servant realizes that Elisha understood something he didn't. The real battle wasn't against the king of Aram. The real battle is in the unseen realm, and God has the victory. Now, if you were here last week at church, part of the Testify series is we talked about asking that the Lord would open the eyes of our heart. Part of that spiritual ability to see is that we need God to show us, to open our eyes, that this is not all there is. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to see the spiritual world. Some of you might, but most of us won't. But it's to realize that there's so much more going on. Now, here's my favorite part about this story. You guys ready for this? Elisha prays that God would give the Aramites a spirit of blindness so they can't see. Elisha walks up to the army, and they don't recognize Elisha. And Elisha, like straight up Jedi mind trick goes, the prophet you are looking for is not here. <laughs> and, and they don't see it's Elisha. And they're like, where, where is he? And Elisha says, here, I'll lead him to him. I'll lead you to him. Elisha then leads the entire army of the Aramites directly to the king of Israel. Now imagine the king of Israel going, yes, I'm going to get to slaughter my enemies. And here's what Elisha says to the king of Israel. Don't kill them. I know you want to. Don't kill them. Instead, feed them. Bless them and send them on their way. Elisha had the spiritual eyes to see that the real battle was not against who they thought it was. It was not against flesh and blood. The king of Israel feeds his enemies. The enemies go back to the king of Aram and they tell him how the king of Israel responded. And guess what happened? The king of Aram stopped fighting. He stopped pursuing Israel. He stopped warring against them and let them be in peace. Here's why this matters. Elisha understood the real warfare is spiritual warfare. 
We must take our faith seriously. I want to invite the band back up and here's where we're going to. I want you to understand that how we fight is way more important than we think. But what if the reason that you're finding yourself losing so many battles, what if the reason that you're finding your personal life struggling, your faith struggling, your marriage struggling, your families, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your neighbors, your school, your work, maybe you're struggling with addiction, what if the reason why you keep on losing the battle is because you're trying to fight it in your own power and strength and might with human weapons of warfare? Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, the weapons we fight with have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I am not in any way denying the reality that your feelings surrounded some of you here today. I'm not denying the reality that some of you are in unhealthy marriages, maybe even abusive marriages. I'm not denying that sometimes the questions of faith we have aren't real, they are. I'm not denying that cancer is not real. I'm not denying the fact that there is disease and heartache and sickness. Our struggles are real, they are tangible. But let's look at that final verse. Let's look at that verse that we opened up with. Paul says to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It means that if the first place we fight is not in our own strength, it's not in our own might, it's not in our own wisdom, his power, it is fighting from the position of the Lord. It is fighting from our identity, not against our identity. He tells us to put on the full armor of God so we can take a stand against the devil's schemes. Over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about that armor and what does it actually look like and how do we live in resistance that leads to victory. You need God's armor, which means you need to know what that armor is and how to put it on and use it correctly. We're going to learn how to take a stand against the devil's schemes in our lives. There are four main places that the enemy wants to fight where he is fighting against you. And I want you to hear this right now. Would you stand with me? Here's what I want you to hear. These are the four places where the enemy is fighting. First is for people, not just Christians, people. The enemy wants to destroy image bearers of God. That's all humanity. The enemy wants to destroy. That's why he's here. Addictions, violence, discouragement, bitterness, and hatred. Second, the enemy is fighting against this church. I'll tell you right now, We've already experienced spiritual warfare. It's funny. Well, it's not funny. It's actually how life happens. Once you start saying, hey, you know what, Satan? We're going to start coming into the places of victory. Guess what he's starting to do? He's starting to wage war. We as a church need to learn how to fight against it. Satan loves division. He loves to spread lies and gossip, false teaching and false doctrines, toxic leadership structures. He loves to see the church fighting against itself, racism, disagreements about style and preference. He seeks to deceive the church, to see people, God's people, believe lies. Lies about God, lies about their identity in Christ, lies about the world, and yes, lies about the church. Third, parents, hear this. The enemy is going after your family. 
Satan hates families because families are God's idea. God intended families to be safe. He wants to make them unsafe. He wants to see marriages dissolved. He wants to see children fatherless, motherless, even in rebellion. When he destroys families, he actually has a generational impact. How many of you are tired of seeing generations impacted by lies? We need to see a generation rise up and then it's realizing the final is the enemy's going after society, culture, and yes, governments, but it all starts where? With people. We must learn how to fight the right way. This is how we fight our battles. Paul ends with this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We are in a struggle. The word struggle there means hand-to-hand -hand combat. Here's what I want you to hear. Your enemy is not your spouse. Your enemy is not your neighbor. Your enemy is not even our government. Your real enemy is Satan and the lies that he has perpetuated in the world and in our lives. The real enemy is in the unseen realm, the visible, the invisible. We just need eyes to see. So here's three quick takeaways. You guys ready for this? Three takeaways. That's all I want you to hear. First, we face a war on two fronts. The war we can see, touch, smell, hear, and feel the visible, and the real war which is taking place in the invisible, the spiritual war. Second, we have an enemy, Satan or the devil. He hates God and he hates you. He hates all that God has created and is doing everything in his power to destroy God's creation and mission. Lastly, we fight our battles through the strength and might of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? I want to end with this. I want to go back to that chess piece illustration. We are in a fight. Satan sees it as a game. But there's the difference. To Satan, you're a pawn. To Jesus, you're a beloved son, daughter, prince, and princess in the kingdom of the Lord. That is who you are. And until you live in that, you are living in a lie. You need to understand you're not a pawn. You have freedom. You have authority. And in the name of Jesus, you have power and victory. Amen? So let us live in that. He has called you. He wants to equip you. He wants to empower you. And he wants to unleash you into the victory you already have in Jesus. So let us live in that power. Over the next several weeks, we're going to learn how to live in that. Can I get an amen? amen? Let's come and worship the Lord. Let's give our tithes and offering. Let's give it up for Jesus because he is the victor.